approaching the center of the city. Here we find the great marketplace, a tourist's paradise filled with all kinds of strange and wonderful wares. And on the right, the palace of Aladdin, owner of the famous magic lamp. It is rumored that his beautiful daughter is very unhappy, despite all their riches. From KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's Arcade Welcome to the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is March 30th, 2017, and it is now approximately 818 CDT. Thanks for joining us in the Arcadosphere. This is your host, Captain Fantastic. I'm joined by the legendary Dan Reed. Temporal displacement expert, Mark Time Runner. Shields and the illustrious guest of the Arcade Radio podcast this week is Mr. Randy Donahue, former employee of Aladdin's Castle and Ballet Entertainment. Welcome to the show and episode 13. Hello, hello. Tell us who you are, Randy. Well, to be here, this is Randy Donahue, uh, formerly of Aladdin's Castle and Ballet Gaming. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Um, Mark. Hi, uh, Mark Shields. Well, Time Runner 88 on the K-Love, TimeMachineRental.com, UncleRico'sVan.com, the Arcade Hangouts, Meet the Time Runners, Bob Zarzadek does stuff. It's a lot of, and some Spider-Man stuff. Spider-Man, I'm not Spider-Man parody <laughs> something. <laughs> Whatever I call it, it's like this very long name so that Disney doesn't find me. <laughs> or Sony, right? There's like a split ownership there, I suppose. Well, Marvel owns... Marvel's light. Oh, it's so complicated. Let's just not go there. <laughs> and the legendary Dan Reed. Hi. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Dan Reed. I have I'm journey uh, uh, tape I'm recorder that... board. And... Dang it. <laughs> journey thing. <laughs> Dan might not join us today. It's very uh-huh. sad. Yeah. He even got a medical procedure done. That's right. Yeah. They're link they're lengthening it. No wait. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with know. this, but it's interesting. I, Do tell. I can't go into it. There's a HIPAA compliance and all that. So sorry. <laughs> we have to move on. So does that mean we're gonna have to skip the arcade news? We save it and if he shows up, we'll let him do it. Hey, well, let's just reverse it. You know, maybe we'll start with the Wayback Machine today. What do you think? I like that. All right. I'm I'm down. Do it. Randy, are you down with it? Wait, we didn't talk about what we were going to work on. We're, we're working yeah, let's on. talk about that. Okay. We left that out last week. 
Yeah, we did because we were in a hurry. So uh, real quick, I uh, I've sold uh, two sprint twos and two sprint twos and a two eighty zap. Oh yeah, and I was involved with this little Pac Man thing over the weekend. Yeah, that's what I've been working on. Well, I installed my uh, Empire Strikes Back kit in my Star Wars that I've had yeah! for six months. <laughs> yes, is it the uh, Vector Labs one? Correct. Sweet. So you get. To I did it in about fourteen minutes. It's so cool. So tell us how it works. Uh, you hold down the left front button and the right front button for three seconds each, and then the triggers. The triggers. Okay. Well, the ones that are on the front. So the thumb buttons, I guess. Oh, see, I would call those on the back. Right. So the thumb buttons, you hold those down for how many seconds? Three seconds, three seconds each, and then it switches games, and it's pretty smooth. Um, it's four little daughter boards, and you end up taking out so many ROMs. It's hilarious. It was a fun upgrade, you know, and it fired right up the first time. Sweet. I love it. Randy, what are you working on right now? Uh, well, uh, arcade-related, uh, I'm, I'm currently looking for a project. I've, I've got... S- basically cabinet guts and i'm looking for a cabinet with a monitor all right tell us what uh tell us what game you got well my wife used to go to the arcade you know i won't say fairly often but uh her favorite game was a a game called columns oh yeah i love columns yeah it was kind of like a tetris wannabe and uh so pre-bejeweled yeah so so she's always well She's been pestering me for like the last, I don't know, 30 years uh, that we've been <laughs> moving around. And I have this this board and all the material in a, in a big box that we keep moving. I keep telling her, one day, uh, I'll build it. And, <laughs> so you have the marquee and the board? and the you know. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, pretty much everything to put it together. And uh, my, my, my thought was, was that, uh, you know, I'd just be able to buy a game cabinet someday from from Aladdin's and then of course they went and went out of business on it. <laughs> so uh, that uh, cut down my immediate local supplier of, of games so, or cabinets. So well, well you're in uh, uh, Worthington or that area? Yeah. North okay. of Worthington, about uh, 15 miles and a metropolis of uh, Folda, Minnesota. How far are you from Mankato? I am approximately 90 miles. I, Go there fairly often. Okay. So here's the deal. We have a good buddy who's a collector there. He could probably source a cabinet for you that would work with your columns guts. So that'd if you're interested, we could try to hook you up with him. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll let him know. Um, okay. Speaking of which, I had a little conversation with Walter Day before the show, and he's interested in making you a, a superstar. He thinks it's totally awesome that you were a roving manager, which we'll get to in our interview. Superstar. But you were a roving manager of Aladdin's and Bally Arcades in the day. So uh, that's pretty awesome. Walter Day, like, reaching out and saying, hey, I can make a card for this guy. So shoot me your picture and we'll, we'll make a card. That would, that would be great. The, uh, something else I can post on Instagram. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Dan, Dan Reed, what are you working on? Um, I'm working uh, in my basement on my <laughs> crawl. <laughs> I don't know. Poor Dan. <laughs> I'm making him sound very kind of dumb. I should stop doing it. <laughs> I should do more of a, be- I should just do be, a better impression. Like just be real sh- negative. Here, I'll do it. Shut up, Adam. <laughs> you have to this swear a lot. You have to swear a lot. <laughs> Bye-bye. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. 
that's the first time you've ever sworn on this show. Uh, oh, oh, darn. <laughs> I was doing so well. It was the end of an era. I know. Well, I wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was doing a, D- a Dan impression, so it's all good. That's great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So normally we would jump into some news, but I think without Dan here, we're going to have to skip his segment for, and maybe come back to it. What do you think? No biggie. I'm in. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Back, back to the to cave, cave with, with Time Runner. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back to the Cave. Yeah. We're going to jump into the DeLorean time machine. Don't you hit your head on that gullwing door. I'm trying not to. <laughs> Everybody, everybody does it once at least. Ow! Ow! God! Son of a you. biscuit cake. The day we're going <laughs> back in time to will be March thirtieth, nineteen eighty-four. That is what thirty-three years. It's longer than I want to admit. It's about thirty-three years, Doc. Okay. So first, let's let's talk about a little bit of technology stuff, and all of it is bad. <laughs> IBM had released a uh, IBM PC Junior this month in an attempt to enter the home computer market. I, I can't believe that they're saying this. It had improved sound and graphics over the original business-oriented IBM PC, but it was a commercial failure. So it's, it's interesting that that was three years after the introduction of the PC with um, probably DOS 1.10 that Mr. Bill Gates sold to him. Yeah, I don't know why he thought this was a good idea. I mean, I, I would have called it something else. But um, I never saw I never saw one in, in person. Uh, not to be outdone by IBM Texas Instruments, the month that the PC Junior was introduced, they decided they could not compete in the home computer market and threw in the towel on the Texas Instruments 994A. Which actually, one of our most loyal listeners is a huge fan of that system. And I it, too am a huge fan. I programmed a BBS on it. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned that in another one of our shows. It was. I'm trying to find the copy of that program. Yeah, you should totally get it working. Connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. No, just get a modem hook, uh, hooked up to my uh, the Comcast phone I don't use. Oh, my gosh. Ryan's in the chat. He's actually listening. <laughs> <laughs> he just popped in, the lurker. <laughs> British 1500. Welcome to the chat. Yeah, we're talking about you right now. You're you're my uh, you're probably the first person that pops into my head when we when I hear the TI ninety nine four A, and then Mark because of course you know BBS. So that's pretty cool. Do you have any questions for him, Ryan? While you're out there, well, I'll just pass them on right now. Oh, he does a podcast on it. We should get me on that podcast. All right, we should. Yeah, you want to guess, Ryan? We got this. We got. We'll hook you up. Okay, so um, let's move along here. Uh, this is my favorite section. This is where we talk about the top five songs All that right. were going. Uh, that were the top five songs on March 30th, 1984. And then I will somehow relate them to video or arcade games. I just got to say, I love the fact that you're able to do this every week. So yeah, get on with your bad self. Okay. So the number five song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. All right. And uh, while this song was was on the... Are we going to play some? <laughs> what? Is that good? Yeah. That's... So I can't play too much because someone will like flag the show. Right. So so while this song was on a Just Dance video game, the very first Just Dance game that was released, it's more interesting that the music video starred uh, wrestler Captain Lou Albano. He played uh, Cyndi Lauper's father. He's the guy with uh, like rubber bands in his beard. Okay. 
So he would actually go later on to to portray Mario of Donkey Kong himself on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I tell me you watch that show. Was that on Saturday morning S- Supercade? Because I don't know. I kind of vaguely I, remember that. My my wife. It was it was her. You know, in the nineties. She's a nineties girl. Hey DJ Andriel, just join the the chat. Welcome DJ Andriel. I hope I said and, that right. And Dariel. And Dariel. Yeah. So Cindy Lauper also appeared on that show in an episode called Captain Lou is Missing. So it's sweet. So that's a crazy cross of, you know, that song. Yeah, I love, yeah, that's video games. awesome. What's next? Next, number four, the fourth most popular song. Here Comes the Rain Again by Eurythmics. Oh, yeah. Such a good intro. Probably one of the best intros in a song ever. I love it. The thing about that video is that the the clouds are all black, and I'm like, what is what happened? You know, I, I didn't know about infrared photography or whatever they did. So, so, so Eurythmics, uh, their song "Sweet Dreams Are Made of This" is uh, is featured in the film Tron Legacy. It's the second song that's heard after Sam Flynn. He finds the secret passage behind the Tron video game, and right after uh, Journey Separate Ways finishes. Oh. It's yeah. played very quietly because obviously he's gone down into the basement. I did not know that. I I, I almost didn't believe it, so I had to go find a clip uh, a clip of the movie and I'm gonna have to go watch the movie again. Thanks a do lot. It. The entire <laughs> film just to confirm this part. <laughs> also, I will I will totally do that. I'm gonna do it after the show tonight. So the number three song on March thirtieth, nineteen eighty four was Jump by Van Halen. Nice. So uh, there was a Guitar Hero Van Halen game. Okay. That uh, the Guitar Hero series put out. It had 25 songs from the group. It also had like 19 songs from other bands around that era. So it, I guess to round it out, it was released uh, for the PlayStation 2 and 3, Xbox 360, and the Wii systems in December 2009. This thing actually gets criticized because it doesn't contain any Sammy Hagar or Gary Sharon, <laughs> but I'm like, come on, who cares? It's, uh, yeah, whatever. Jump is one of the, okay, so 1984 for me is like one of my all-time favorite albums from the 80s. I love that album. Randy, what's your what's your take on, on Van Halen? Well, the, they're awesome, and I prefer, you know, Van Halen over Van Hagar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, be a little more old school. Yeah, I but, totally uh, agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah, I love the music. Awesome. Cool. So we got... We, didn't, we, we didn't ask you about Cindy Lauper. How do, what are your feelings? <laughs> um, you know, I, I've never really sat and, and thought a lot deeply <laughs> about Cindy Lauper, so I'm, I'm probably not a good one to ask. <laughs> I actually attended so, a concert of her somewhere in... She's Bar- awesome. Bar- she's so awesome. Yeah, she was super cool, but she was handing out these like bracelets. And then when she went to hand the like to me, I was in the front row or something, she just limply like dropped it and it fell on me. (laughs) And I don't know why that's what I remember about my interaction with Cindy Lauper. I I thought the whole rock and wrestling was a great market. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was totally. totally involved with the wrestling community. Oh, yeah. She was in so many storylines. That was crazy. Oh, and she had all those wrestlers in her videos. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally awesome. And yeah, that that uh, that video is only thirty five thousand dollars, and the reason why it was so cheap, it has all these digital effects. Um, Lauren Michaels, the guy who runs Saturday Night Live, basically yeah, well, had and, access and, to all of this expensive digital equipment and lent it to her and whoever was making the video for free. Wow. And I think that video actually has some of the first digital effects that were done in a music video. Sweet. It's so all by memory here. Okay, number two. Um, I always feel like somebody's watching me. This song is badass. It is. It is totally. I play it every Halloween. It's on my Halloween 80s mix. So tell us about this one. Right. So somebody's watching me by Rockwell. Um, the interesting about the thing about this, this was his debut song, first song he'd ever put out single wise. Um, his, his childhood friend was Michael Jackson. And he sang uh, backup vocals for him on the album. And as we all know, Michael Jackson would later create the 1990 Sega arcade game Moonwalker. Yes, which is an awesome game. Uh, well, I liked it anyway. I mean, I would love to have one, but they seem to be pricey. Yeah, they are. Well, probably because he's dead. But I, I think it's an awesome game. It's a little weird. I love the Sega version, too. Speaking of Sega Genesis, the Sega Genesis version, even though it, it is it, it sort of goes off in its own direction from the arcade game, it's a really good version of the game. And they also um, did several versions of Columns, Randy. Oh, that'd be great for the Genesis. So um, don't tell your wife that if you want to upright, but you could yeah. you, you could probably just go buy a Sega console and like get Columns one, two, and three and have a ball. Yeah, but but where would the restoration fund be? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's actually what I'm looking forward to because that was my love of working at Aladdin's was digging in and repairing stuff. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. All right. So, what are we up to now? We're at number one. The number one song on March third, uh, March thirtieth, nineteen eighty four, was "Footloose" by Kenny Loggins. Oh my gosh, I love that song. That's just like you you can't. I mean, seriously. Really? Did you ever uh, ever see Kenny Loggins perform? Uh, no, but I, I'm actually looking forward to. Um, he he's he's touring right now. Yeah. So well, let I, me let me break some news. For, he has a lot of songs that are really boring, and he likes to play them first, and then he saves his hits for like you know when you think like half the people have left because they're like oh god I can't handle it. <laughs> but this song is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, my my aunt gave me this tape in 1984, and I oh, listened wow. to it endlessly. I have two copies of the album. I have the regular album. I have the picture disc. I have the extended CD that they released like 10 years ago. I love this movie. It's just awesome. Big nice. fan. So Kenny Loggins, uh, that song was in a Just Dance Kids 2014 uh, release, which came out for the Wii, the Wii U, the Kinect. Oh, uh, cool. It's part of the Just Dance video game franchise, basically. Uh, awesome. Interesting, David Ortega served as m- executive mo- movie produ- music producer on that game. Ortega is famous. I-, I think, actually, he choreographed Footloose, if I remember correctly. Wow. 
uh, if you ever play the game, it's hilarious because the it's for kids. So all of the dance moves are like ridiculously simple. <laughs> it would make for a good fun drinking game, I think. That's awesome. So okay, I got a couple more little things here. Yeah, go for it. The uh, at the box office, Police Academy enjoyed its second week as the number one film in 1984 on this it, date. Correct. And um, so how does that relate to video games? Well, there's a company called Tengen. They uh, produced NES compatible games just quit- and they had. Just they to... had nearly completed programming a police academy video game. <laughs> it was based on the '80s arcade, uh, the '80s cartoon series, and uh, it was shelved. They decided, you know what? Let's not do this. Um, let's make another game, all that's uh, like basically a ripoff of Super Mario Brothers, and then they shelved that. So somewhere on some hard drive, there's two different Police Academy games, and uh, they've never been released. I'm not 100 percent sure if they're out on Mame somewhere. Okay, question for the. Um chatters in the audience who created tension i'm waiting tension yeah there's like a little bit of a delay yeah <laughs> there's like a 10 to 15 second delay so yeah it's do 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 i think i probably have something like that one in here let's see oh. i'm gonna bet you you're the only one that knows this because i don't oh here we go british 1500 has it correct it was atari Oh, Atari created Tengen, and it was a uh, a splinter company. They did that, you know, key games. They created their own competition, and when they got into the video game market, uh, they did not want to license their games through Nintendo because it costs money. So they created Tengen, and they made their own games. They got sued by Nintendo, by the way. Ah. Uh, and, and, um, so actually they ended up playing nice and there was multiple versions of Tengen games that came out in black cartridges that were re-released with the official Nintendo seal, um, and put out on the Atari. So, or I mean, on the Nintendo. Um, so, but uh, Atari was the uh, creator of that company, I, I believe. Oh, I only remember them from that other company they made where they had the, I don't know which cabinets. Set Bally Sente, the Sente cabinet. Oh, yeah. Was it Sente another Atari company spinoff or Sente. something? Yeah, I believe it was. Hmm. It was Sente, and they had key games. Yeah. Yeah, it was all. That's... I totally want one of those cabinets with a big white little cowl thing that hangs over. <laughs> oh, I had such a good intro for Dan. I'm going to have to save it for next week, though, I think. Uh, okay, so our last little thing that happened on March 30th, 1984. Um, it was actually a week ago, but since we didn't have a show, I couldn't bring it up. But March 24th, 1984 is the day the breakfast club all had detention together in the beginning of the movie. That's the date that's, that's the date. spoken okay. aloud. Cause it was 85 when that came out. Correct. But yeah, I guess it's set then. They must've shot it in 84, right? Yep. Um, so actor Emilio Estevez, who played the jock, uh, he starred a year earlier in an anthology film called Nightmares. His episode is called The Bishop of Battle, and it concerned a video game addicted teenager who is consumed by his game. Have you ever seen that? Um, what is it again? <laughs> Emilio Estevez is in this. It's like an anthology film. It has like four little episodes. No, I've never seen it. It's so good. And they totally trash a bunch of classic games. <laughs> uh during you know his <laughs> battle inside of the arcade, S fifteen hundred says, "Mess with the bull, get the horns." I think that's one of the things that that's <laughs> spoken in there. <laughs> Excellent. So, and that's the end of Back to the Cade. Oh, it's the arcade news with Don Reed.
So I guess this leaves me to do Dan Reed's news. So, hey, what do you say we switch off? Okay, you go first. Okay. Um, BBC.com in the UK. There's a new one-pound coin, and there's a guy that's running this arcade called... I, mean, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Londudno. Who would name Londudno? That sounds like, like the worst name. Londudno Amusement Arcade. Um, Adam Williams, who owns Londudno Pier in, in Conway, Conway County, had to adapt his 1,000-slot machines to ensure they can accept a new 12-sided coin, which was released on Tuesday. Uh, he says... We, uh, we're lucky as we're a sizable company with in-house engineers. Um, and he said, he said, so we can deal with these kind of problems, even though it will cost us tens of thousands of pounds to accept the new one pound coin. And he says, if I was a small business or a single site operator, it would make me go bankrupt. The interesting thing about this is, is what if they change like the quarter in the U S you know, how would that affect the vending market? I'm or, sure there's vending lobbyists that would never let that happen. Well, and I think that's why the dollar is still around because literally, you know, the dollar hasn't changed, but all these other bills have new security features, you know? So you can use an old dollar machine. Like I have a, I have a, you know, coin machine in my house. And <laughs> oh, that's right. So you can still use the old dollars and they work great, you know? But if you try to, you know, if you want a $5 or $20 bill, you have to update your bill changer all the time. It's expensive. So I can't imagine. They've done this, uh, apparently, like they've made a change in the coin like every three to four years. So it's just got to wreak havoc on the vending industry, in my opinion. It's insane. All right, take it, Mark. Okay. (laughs) From UPI.com, a man uses a 3D printer to build retro arcade gaming system. Really? Yeah. Let's hear about this. So can you you post that link to the chat so these guys can look at it? I don't think uh, I can post a link i think only you as the the originator of the stream can post the link really yeah it it's uh, prevents you from doing it oh, if you're just a schmo like me you're just a regular joe schmo okay right. so let's talk can... about this real quick uh tech-minded video game fan in malaysia shared the process he used to create his own working retro arcade game machine with a 3d printer christopher Tr- tan a nanoblock artist what based in malaysia said he bought electronic components, including an LCD display, a Raspberry Pi 3, computer online, before tackling the project of using his 3D printer, which he himself built from a kit to make a desktop arcade machine. 100, 100 plus hours of 3D printing. He printed the case, the control panel, the it, the paint. I guess he painted it. Yeah, he painted it, and then he... Oh, put custom graphics on it? Yeah. Oh, he made a cute little fake coin slot. I know. It's huh. totally awesome. If you look at the video, it's like the coolest little thing. Yeah. And it's just, huh. yeah, Randy, what are you going to say? It, it's really cool. I, I look, click the link and, uh, you know, I, I love the Raspberry Pi. I, I'm currently now trying to I'm figure a, out. I have three of them. one to control a ham radio. Oh, that's awesome. Geek, are you a so. ham radio operator? Well, yeah, of course. I'm a geek. So. <laughs> 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 yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> Sweet, you learned something new. I wanted to figure out how to use, uh, like, like, there was a way to use ham radios to use, uh, like modems before. I never really got into that, but <laughs> yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, we so, use them for slow, slow scan TV and everything. It, it's yeah, it's quite a hobby. So yeah. oh, I'm surprised yeah. with all of my activity in amateur radio and computers growing up as a kid, how I was ever able to meet a girl and get married. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've been married yeah. twice. I'm working on a third, so, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, so anyway, Washington Post says uh, the 2017 video game Hall of Fame finalists are in, and they're not just arcade classics. After opening in 2015, the Strong Museum's World Video Game of Hall, Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York, spent its first two years mostly honoring classics such as Pac-Man, Oregon Trail, and Super Mario Brothers. So, um, but the interesting thing is, is um, also inducted were uh, uh, like The Sims, World of Warcraft, Grand Theft Auto Three, and you know which are very popular in their own right. But the now, biggies. yeah, exactly. So now the museum is wading deeper into the gaming world, and this is really interesting. Nominees include the groundbreaking, groundbreaking, <laughs> the groundbreaking. Mm, are you baking bra- <laughs> some brownies, maybe? The groundbreaking puzzle game Mist. I mean. You gotta you gotta respect that, right? That's pretty awesome. Halo, uh, Combat Evolved, and the critically acclaimed Portal. Um, I love Portal. I gotta say, Portal Two is like so cool. I, I love Portal Two way more than Portal One. Um, both are are really great in their own right, though. Nintendo groundbreaking 1981 classic Donkey Kong is on the list this time. It's like, how did they miss that the first time around? Shouldn't it have just been like one of the first ones that was inducted. I don't know. Um, and so is Mortal Kombat, which was released in 92, uh, probably towards the end of your run, Randy, in, uh, in the Aladdin's yeah. world. And also among 2017 finalists is Pokemon Red and Green, released in 1996 Nintendo Game Boy. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I know people that have that game and they are obsessed about it. They loved it. And it was sort of like the, the I don't know, I would say it was like the golden age of Pokemon, you know, um, the most unusual pick. Among this year's nominees is Microsoft Windows Solitaire, released on Windows 3.0, equipped PCs in 91. It's a little more than a computerized version of Century's old car game, but um, and, and it, it lacks many of the traits that are are um, that made others on the list so innovative. But as uh, the Hall of Fame noted, it's been installed on more than a billion machines uh, since it was it came out. So. It's really interesting that analog games can, you know, be that popular. I, I mean, everyone knows, like, think of Dwight from The Office, you know, um, playing computer solitaire. Is that, is that him? Doesn't he have that? Or was that a different guy? That sounds right. So, anyway. So, other titles in the 2017 list are role-playing games. Final Fantasy VII, which you hear a lot about. Um, survival horror. In fact, I have a copy of that for the Sony PlayStation. Uh, survival horror game, Resident Evil, which is bloody scary. When I, I remember playing that as a, you know, as a 20 something in my house, a 20 something child with all the lights turned down and my Sony PlayStation hooked up to the big stereo on this giant TV. And it would literally give me anxiety. I had to quit playing it. Um, Street Fighter two, uh, Tomb Raider and Wii sports, which is honestly the best thing to ever, ever come out for the Wii in my opinion. So who doesn't love to bowl, right? Just awesome. Oh, yeah. So that, um, that's sort of the news in a nutshell. Do you, I mean, do you guys, uh, have any comments on those, those picks? What do you think they're unusual or? Are they going to have anything left next year? I mean, that's like the, the uh, you know, pretty popular stuff. Computer solitaire. <laughs> solitaire. I mean, I, I know I played it. That was my second favorite game next to character map. <laughs> I had a, um, when I was really being into Quake 2 and uh, Unreal Tournament. I oh, love Quake 2. <laughs> we had a clan, and it's called Clan Panic. If you go to the... The website's still there, clanpanic.com. And um, I think on the main page, it says that we're, you know, we're good at all... You know, we play all these games, and it says we kick ass at Microsoft Hearts. 
because <laughs> it was like one of the first network games to demonstrate you know network capability of uh, of video games on the Windows platform. So <laughs> I just remember uh, thinking. Did you? Was very did funny. you play the Quake Two Chaos maps? Oh, I had every mod you could have for that. That was my favorite. Devastator was my favorite. You had two mechs. <clears throat> you pick up two runes. One rune would turn you to a mech with dual chain guns. The other one would turn you into a mech with two rockets. And everybody else in the level would have to try to shoot you, and they were grunts. And you were just given, like, these little pea shooters. So you would basically run away from these mechs that would try to kill you. So fun. There I guess was... my other thing was the rail room, which was like a, like a circular room with just rail guns. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever play a mod called um, Capture the Chicken? Sounds familiar. You could, there's a rubber chicken in the map and you'd have to run around and you pick up the chicken. And then if you hit the trigger button, you, so it was like, um, I'm going to say something totally, uh, not PC here, but, uh, what do they call smear the queer now? (laughs) (laughs) It must be a Midwest thing. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, you throw a football up in the air, somebody catches it, everybody tries to tackle you. Um, we, we called it Smear <laughs> the Queer back in the, back in the day. I, I don't even think they allow kids to do that anymore. No, and it, you're not allowed to go outside. I think you're pretty much... No. Yeah, that would, that would require them to actually yeah, have physical contact and, and play. And, and we, we will not allow that in our society anymore. But Quake 2 had a mod, and it was called uh, Capture the Chicken. And if you picked up the chicken, you were it. And it would drop these golden feathers, and you would try to run away, and you would glow. So if you tried to hide, you'd have this glow effect. <clears throat> and the funny thing was, if you hit your trigger button, it would choke the chicken. <laughs> and it would go... <laughs> and you could just hide somewhere in the map and go Burk! and then people would hear you and come after you and the longer you held the chicken the more points you got so it was actually a super fun mod and then there was reckoning uh devastator i mentioned uh oh lmctf which was a capture the flag mod which was amazing uh there was an abandoned um mod where you could pick up and be invisible or you know all these different runes i loved quake 2 quake 2 was my game that was my Hmm. jam all right i I sense that there's going to be an arcade radio quake 2 (laughs) live stream going to happen sometime i I totally yeah i totally diverged i apologize this uh that's how i was going we should probably move on to our guest what do you think (laughs) is there any voicemail oh let me check um as a matter of fact there is oh hey let's check this out why not? Okay. All right. Um, so, and the thing, and then put that there. Hello, Arcade Ratio Podcast people. This is uh, Bob Zarzadek. Oh, Bob. Uh, hey, Dan, Mark, and Adam. You are men of men. Uh, now, where was I after complimenting you? I'm like, oh, yeah, your host, Aladdin. Uh, Aladdin, if you have a minute, can you... Can you can you get uh, that lamp and rub it a little for me? Because I, I have some taxes coming up that I need attending to, and I'm not really in the mood to sell my pristine white Nike sneaker collection on eBay. <laughs> to barely even say it out loud. Oh, oh, oh anyway, I was I was wondering, Aladdin, if uh, there were any lady Aladdins out there. I mean, it's not just you, right? I mean, I'm, there's got to be like a chick Aladdin or something, right? Make it interesting. If not, well, then, you know, that's too bad. I, I feel for you, man. I, I truly do. Anyway, guys, no more Aladdin chick talk. I, I can see from my watch that I need to get off the phone, get ready for my middle of the night lawn mowing. You know, the best time to mow your lawn is under the moonlight. <laughs> anyway, you guys take care. 
Zars a deck out. <laughs> um, that guy's weird. Do you have any female advice for Bob, Randy? Uh, no. I, it, <laughs> it sounds like he has some some deep problems. <laughs> some deep, <laughs> deep rooted issues. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Maybe we should just move on. Doesn't. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. And that is the cue for our guest, Mr. Randy Donahue. Welcome again to the Arcade Radio Show podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, (laughs) Great to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you on the show. I just think it's great you have such a different perspective. And Aladdin's Castle, for me, is one of my favorite arcades of all time. So tonight I'm hoping you're going to wreck that whole image for me. (laughs) Well, I I will do my best. Okay. I will will give you a behind-the-curtain look. Oh, yes. At what happened during the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) <laughs> all right well, and to our chatters in the audience tonight please uh make sure that you're uh, firing away questions if you have them if you're an aladdin's castle fan or if you're a bally's fan you know uh we're gonna have a little history going on here so give us a little bit of your background uh randy uh well let's see i started in the uh with bally back in well, 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 let's let's back up to the way 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 back what way way back yeah so like um, tell us a little bit about your you're becoming a nerd, as you mentioned. Well, well, I uh, I grew up in small town Minnesota, and uh, you know that back before the days where I could occupy myself with my smartphone and and tablets and all of this other stuff that that our children today take for granted. And back then, growing up in a small town, there was nothing to do, and you really had to use your imagination a lot. And I spent a lot of time reading. Uh, magazines um, looking kind of for, magazines well just anything that would prove to me that there was life someplace else I think <laughs> really um, but a lot of electronics and computer kind of hobby stuff and uh, so I remember bugging my parents um, to help me you know get some extra money and and start buying you know electronics components to like build stuff sure and uh, one, one of the first things um I I can remember back in the day, of course, being a, a new ham, uh, was there was a company called Heathkit. Oh, yeah. They the, the used to be able to build a lot of gizmos um, for amateur radio. And then uh, somehow I, I got segued into computers, and uh, I built an Altair. An Altair, uh, like, uh, uh, what was it called? The Altair? What was it? The Altair 8000? Yeah. Or now, something like that. Yeah, I'm, so like you know, that's the one that Bill Gates and and um and what's his head um Steve Ballmer brought uh code down because they didn't have an operating system for it right so they were trying mm-hmm, to sell yeah. them an operating system mm-hmm. and uh, so so that's kind of what that's kind of what got me into computers and stuff and then of course I you know you know Radio Shack you know it was in a town near me so that was kind of a another store to hang out with you know that was back when they used to hire people that knew about electronics and just not how to sign you up for a cell phone plan. Oh, and and speaking of which, my Radio Shack is closing here in Golden Valley. Yeah, they're, they're all, uh, uh, we've lost all of ours around here, and, and which is sad, being a ham guy, it's great to have a place like that local to buy little pieces and parts. But Can I interject a question really quick? Like, yeah. Um, 
when they were open, and this is my frustration with Radio Shack up until the point of its death, for the last uh, five years as a collector, ten years as a collector, um, Radio Shack, you know, you think that they would have the capacitors, the lamps, the, you know, the things you need when you go there. And they have a little section. And I, nine times out of ten I would go there, they did not have what I want. And back in the day, they had everything that you wanted. Yes, yeah, and and now everything, everything has went online. You know that the the Amazons or the for us electronics people, the DigiKeys um, of the world have have pretty much ruined brick and mortar stores. Yeah, and fries, uh, what, fries what frustrated me was I'd go into Radio Shack and some of their their salespeople would come up to help me, and they were obviously you know fresh out of high school, and. Uh, they would they would look at me and say, "Well, can I help you?" And my response was probably not, um, because I'm going to go to this bin with all the parts, and then they would leave me alone because they knew that I was in a different world. But it, it was sad that they didn't have more of those switches and lights and things they used to carry. So, um, but you know, that's the the nature of how things evolve in our economy, I guess. Right. So then, you know, your geekdom went on from building, you know, and Heath kits and, and yeah. computers to, um, yeah, I just like to experiment. And then, and at one time there, then there was an opportunity that in our local mall in Worthington, Minnesota, the Northland mall, which, um, again, as things evolve, the, the <laughs> entire mall is no longer there. What's there now? Uh, a, uh, a large parking lot and a car dealership. Oh, oh. You know, do you drive just, by it and yeah. you're just like, God dang it. Yeah. Well, actually, it looks better that way than it did because <laughs> uh, it had gotten to a point to where there was only like four or five stores left in this mall that in its big day, I think, had 30 stores. And the <laughs> the guy that owned the mall um, couldn't afford to pay the electric bill. So oh you would walk into the mall and the only lights in the mall would be what was coming out of the stores. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So you'd have this kind of eerie like Halloween night shopping experience, you know? Oh, wow. And yeah, and kind of dangerous because you'd, you'd go to the mall and of course, you know, there's no parking lot lights. Right. So, and uh, so, yeah, so it, it, it definitely needed to go, but it was, it was sad to see it deteriorate over the years because that, I remember that was my, in my late seventies, you know, high school days, that was our go-to cruising place, you know, where you would drive through the parking lot and, and, uh, and, you know, waste your parents' gas. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that's where the hangout was because that's, you know, that's what you did in, in small towns. So, um, and it used to be full of stores, you know, you could get anything and everything there. And that's where I started my arcade days. There, uh, Bally's had another division other than Aladdin's Castle. It was called Bally's Lamont's Family Fun Center. Oh, yeah. Lamont's had the, um, the same tokens as Aladdin's. They were the same weird, odd shape. Yep. Yeah, you'll you'll just see that they've got just a little different crest design on them, but they're the same same size, same configuration. And in their heyday, there was there was fifty five Lamont's Family Fun Center stores that were owned by Bally's, and they operated independently um, in the very early eighties. And then about eighty four, about a year after I had gotten there, I started there as an attendant, and uh, and and I think it was in early eighty four, Bally's decided to merge that company um, because they had a separate home office, everything. They merged them into the Bally's Aladdin's Castle, Franklin Park, Illinois office. 
And so everything went then through one corporate office and we just became another division or another name. So I think like sometime in the mid nineties, Bally actually got bought out by Williams, but, um, but for the, for your run, they were Bally and they, they they owned everything really. Yeah. Yeah. For my run, they were, they were Bally. Um, and then, uh, well, uh, I was, I was basically with them right up until I think they might've sold or got acquired by uh, Namco, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. that was in '93. That, I remember that, that. that Aladdin sold to to Namco, and then um, and then we're starting to convert, you know, their locations into what you know called Namco Cybertainment Division. Oh, so, yeah. but uh, yes, I mean, in the heyday, you know, once Aladdin's merged all these locations, there was about 450 Aladdin's or Bally owned. Um, um, entities, you know, and that, and that included, you know, the 55 Le Mans stores. So, so that's where I started. Yeah. So you, you work for Le Mans, you start for Le Mans really. Yeah. And yeah, then, and then, yeah. so essentially that was the same as Aladdin's and Bally Entertainment. So can, can you tell us about getting, give us the story about how you got your first job there? What, what was that like? Well, it, it was kind of funny because they, they, they opened this new store and, um, they brought in a manager from, uh, I think he came from a store they had in Dillon, Colorado, and his wife was originally from Minnesota. So when the new store opened, he had the opportunity to move out. So um, there was an arcade in the mall where Bally's, you know, put this Le Mans, but their lease was coming to an end, and it was a small mom and pop store, real tiny spot. And Bally's come in and said, "Well, we'll rent five thousand square feet." And of course, you know, the mom and pop shop, you know, was like, well, we can't compete with that. So we're going to close. So, so one of the attendants that got hired there was a gentleman that worked in that location. And, uh, and then they hired another older gentleman. So it was basically the manager and a couple of attendants. Well, the, the older gentleman they hired lasted about two weeks <laughs> and, uh, and basically went to the manager and said, these kids are driving me insane. So he, he couldn't do the job. And, and it just, coincided with the day that I walked in there and was talking with my friend that had worked at this other arcade and Dan was his name and he went to the manager and he said hey this guy would be good and that's literally how I got started and then I was working later that night so that that's how I got started as a as a part-time uh, attendant so they didn't do a background check or uh, no 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 so I yeah I could have been I could have just gotten you know released from a uh, you know a you prison, know, a prison, you know, right. for you know, pedophilia or something. But Wayward no, boys. Yeah. So no, and that was. I don't think that you were old enough to be a pedophile, though, right? I mean, no. Well, no. Yeah. So it doesn't work uh, that way. No. So I, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. So I no. There was very little. I'm a little uh, worried about the direction this interview is yeah. taking. Yeah. So there, there was little, little to no background uh, in the early days of uh, of uh, employment. So and. Um, so that's how I got started. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was a great job. You know, I loved, I loved the Le Mans way of doing business. Um, I think really better than what Aladdin's had. It was, uh, um, their locations, if, if anybody, I mean, if you had the, uh, opportunity to do it, it, they were just bright and, and, and very inviting, uh, bright colors and stuff. And the Aladdin's early on were, were darker. Um, and they, they did lighten up after they acquired the Le Mans, you know, way of doing business. And, and they did take a lot of their ideas. 
That's awesome. I'm trying to pull up a picture of a Bally Lamont. <laughs> yeah. So were you they're a, hard? To, they're hard to find online. Um, they are. I actually, I actually have some tokens uh, from Lamont's, mm-hmm. and I have a yeah, a crap there, ton there of was, Aladdin's There was a guy online trying to sell um, some tokens. This was a number of years ago, and I think he had them on eBay. That they were Lamont's, you know, ones, and he must have somehow found them in an area of the country where Lamont's wasn't at. So you had these things advertised, you know, as, as rare collectible, you know. Oh, sure. And, yeah. and I told him, I said, well, that's great. I said, I, I got a bag of 5,000 of them I could ship to you, um, <laughs> you know, if, they're, if they're really rare. But, uh, um, but yeah, they, uh, you know, yeah, they were a good division, well-run division. So Did they, was it required for them to have an Atari Le Mans game in there or not? No. Ah, that's a shame. No. <laughs> no. I just bought one, so I'm like, oh, maybe it was in one, but no. no. So, what no. made you want to work for Bally? Were you like a gamer, or did you have an Atari as a kid? What was well, well, I I did have a game system at home. Um, I had the uh, it was the the Atari 2600, but I had the Sears Roebuck version. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. So that's that's what I had. So I used to uh, engross myself in playing Pong. You know, so I mean that was. That's what we had. I had the little square that just moved back and forth yeah. on the TV. Sears had the um, the illustrious um, Burlwood finish on the front. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it had, uh, and they called it the Video Arcade. But it was licensed from yeah. Atari, so it was totally legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... Uh, um, telegames. Telegames, <laughs> that was their deal, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. And my, I, I remember uh, growing up, you know, in the, you know, my parents bought this, and my dad... You know, when we hooked it up to the TV, he just sat and watched this thing, and and he just he's like, "You got to be kidding! This this is all it does," <laughs> you know. So and yeah, so he did he didn't quite get the whole concept <laughs> at all. So the allure. Um, but yeah, as far as you know, what what really interests me in working uh, for ballets, uh, I think the the biggest thing that interests me uh, initially is uh, that I was unemployed. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was probably, I need a that job. Was probably the, that was probably the biggest draw <laughs> immediately. And uh, I got to thinking, it's like, well, I could either I could either work at the arcade, or I could go down the road and get a job working in a meatpacking plant. Uh-huh. So I thought, I thought, you know, the arcade sounds like it's going to be cleaner and uh, more fun. So, and it was, <laughs> and uh, and it, it was it was the heyday of arcade time in the city of Worthington, because I mean, it was literally, it was so busy in there. I mean, we were in small town, Worthington, Minnesota, you know, we're making, you know, five and $6,000 a week deposits. And at a quarter of time, you know, that's, that's a lot of activity. <laughs> and uh, Le Mans in their stores, because they were so busy, had a, a slogan that they beat into their attendance for handling the crowds that would come in. And it was, if you're not playing, you're not staying. <laughs> that's that's kind of they all had some sign like that right yeah because it's just I mean, we just didn't have the room for people to stand around i yeah. mean the ones that were standing were literally in line to play a game putting their quarter up on the marquee yeah. or i mean because yeah, it was just that busy yeah and uh i love so. that that's something we've never talked about but that that is a there's nothing like that one of the reasons we all love arcades and we try to duplicate some of this you know, in our basements and whatnot, so we can have people over and it's a social thing, right? Um, arcades were social. And, and the other part of it is, is there was a, there was an un, there was a code 
that you that, you know that you just knew as an arcade goer. If you put your quarter up there, everybody knew you were up for the game. You know. Yep. And yep. and then later on, if you put your quarter up, it was to fight somebody. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But you and know, it's, and it's funny because we didn't have, of course, in you know Worthington, Minnesota, we you know we didn't have any you know, like gang elements that we had to worry about in, as, <laughs> as opposed to some of the stores that I went into managing or dealing with later outside of, you know, Minnesota. Yeah. So but, uh, tell yeah. us, tell us a little bit about like, before we get into uh, your management and stuff, um, tell us a little bit about what t- types of things maybe um, kids would try to get away with. Oh, hmm, what they try <laughs> to get away with. Uh, well, kids being kids try to get away with everything. Um, but. Uh, you know, the biggest thing was was always probably angling you somehow to get a free game. It took my coin. It took you know, and uh, and you could tell if it took the coin, right? Yeah, a lot of times because generally, if it took the coin, the coin is jammed somewhere in the coin mac because it very seldom are you going to get a well maintained game that's you're going to be able to drop a coin and it's going to go all the way through the coin mechanism and not trip that switch enough. You know, and occasionally we'd find a bad coin switch. And, you know, so then it was easy, you know, to say, okay, yeah, the kids, you know, telling me the truth. But I mean, I had kids, you know, that we, we put games in kind of these octagon configurations around some of these power poles in the center of the, the arcades. And uh, you would get kids that would, uh, they'd watch for the attendant in groups and some, you know, one of them would sneak behind the machine and actually take like a screwdriver or something and pop the back door off <laughs> to be able to reach in to try to flick free coins on. Oh, my God. And, uh, I so, mean, I heard about the old trick of dropping a coin in on a string and all that kind of stuff, and the cutter mechs came around, along and fixed yeah, all that. Yeah, right. yeah, we put the, the cutters went in and, and pretty much took care of that. The, uh, the, the biggest one that comes to mind was um, what happened out in California when I was out there. Kids were, were taking rocks. And they would smash pennies to get them to be about the same size as a token. And when I originally took over this one store, I mean, it was it was a huge problem. I mean, when they were doing their collections once a week out of the games, they were actually collecting more smash pennies than they were tokens. Okay, I have a question. I don't know if you know the answer, but in my arcade at home, I have point nine hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese used point nine eight four, and those are point nine eight four. Um, I forget what the measurement is. Millimeters of an inch, which okay. just doesn't really make sense because it's millimeters, right? So mm-hmm. it's some sort of measurement of the inch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 0.984 is larger than a quarter, or, or some coin slots actually wouldn't even take the 0.984s because they were too large. But anyway, the uh, 0.900s and, and the Bally's were slightly, or the Aladdin's, I should say, the Aladdin's and Lamont's tokens were slightly smaller than the 900. So they like mm-hmm. a 0.894 or something. Yeah, and we actually had inside that coin mechanism, you know, there's a cradle in there that when that coin hits it, yep. and that cradle is weighted, it will drop the coin either into the reject side or it'll drop it in the accepted side and it's based on weight and how it hits the cradle. And uh, we used to play with that weight that's on there and we would we would either super glue additional weight to it to help compensate to help get rid of some of these other coins because what kids would do is they'd take a penny and then they'll when they'd smash it that to get about the same diameter and then they'd spin it on the coin slot so it would hit that that cradle yeah harder and get it to trip so um 
yeah, so they were they were always looking for some angle to do that, and and um, you know, so and we did we took care of it in in the California store, um, and and got rid of that, and uh, um, so that got you know got handled properly, and and the word got out, you know, in the way we handled it, so it didn't happen again. So so whipping or beating? What was no, the... you know, I you know we caught we caught a kid doing it, and <gasps> oh, so it's no. like okay, so I'm gonna. I'm going to have you thrown out of the store. And in, in California, we would, you know, the the local police would come oh. and actually and actually write them a, a, a kind of a citation that basically says you've been officially warned by law enforcement that you are not welcome in this establishment, and if you come back, you go to jail. And uh, this kid who uh, was 18. Um, got in this local policeman's face and started just giving him the riot act about how he knew everything. And, and, and the policeman looked at me, he said, let me make a phone call. He said, because I really want somebody else to deal with this. And he called a gentleman that he had worked with because, you know, being in California, gentleman showed up and uh, he was with a branch of our federal government that deals with counterfeiting and destroying government money. Uh-huh. And, and this individual went someplace, but I never seen him again. But so <laughs> anyway, the word got out. You just you don't do that there. So, um, but yeah, it was a completely different environment when you when you start traveling around the country. But, Speaking uh, of traveling around the company, tell us how you got into management. Well, uh, when Aladdin's Castle took over the Le Mans division, their area manager who. Uh, uh, was a gentleman by the name of Charlie Bork out of Des Moines, Iowa, uh, came up to visit the store, introduce himself and such. And, and he, um, he came in and first thing he did is, uh, him and my manager went around and on paper drew out how to reorganize all the games in the store. And, uh, he's like, this is the way I want it done. Cause this is the Aladdin's castle flow or whatever it was. And, uh, so after they did that, um, Charlie and my manager at the time, a gentleman by the name of Nelson Bonilla, uh, they went to go have lunch and discuss, you know, what's going on in, in, you know, the arcades and stuff. So I thought, well, while they're gone, it was slow. So I got out the two-wheel cart and I moved all these games around the way this drawing was. And, uh, and Charlie came back and, and uh, Nelson looked at him and he said, I told you that he would do this while we were gone. And luckily i guess i did that and and impressed him so uh so that put me on a list you know of hey do you want to be a manager and so from there they sent me to uh, my first store as a manager was in columbus ohio and it was for one of their strip mall locations that belonged the original franchise um was called funway freeway and so it was a store that was had black carpet on the walls and great big highway signs you know, stop and yield in one way. And so I managed that for a little while and then transferred back to a store, actually another Bally's Le Mans store in Spencer, Iowa. Hey, I have a quick question. Since yeah. you didn't live there, did they put you up in a hotel or? Well, well I actually did live in Ohio for a while. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and then, um, then they started while I was in Ohio, Aladdin said, well, what we're going to do now, because there's also an Aladdin's castle inside the mall. So you had this strip mall out in the parking lot, which had a video game arcade. And then there was another, you're going to live inside of it. No, well, no, they, they said, uh, 
we're going to come up with this new concept called multi-store managers. Okay. And since the guy in the mall has been here a lot longer than you, um, he's going to take this one and we're going to transfer you to another store. Where do you want to go? And I'm like, well, let's go back towards where I grew up. So they sent me to Spencer, Iowa. Was there for a little while managing that store. And then uh, when that store lease ran out, they decided to close it. Um, they came to me and they said, would you be interested in being a roving manager? And I'm like, okay, that sounds just fantastic. Uh, what the heck is a roving manager? And they're like, well, it's a position in the company that we send you to a store and you evaluate why this store is not making enough money or uh, we send you to a location where we're opening a new store and you help set up you know, the new store. Um, you can go to a temporary location like uh, went down to New Orleans for Mardi Gras yeah. uh, one year because they thought, hey, we're going to set up a, an arcade just over Mardi Gras. And, uh, and you know what we found out doing that? A lot of people go to Mardi Gras to party and drink. They don't go there to play video games. So <laughs> we, lost, we lost a go ton figure. of money on that. Yeah, so, but that's kind of what we did. We were the, the company's problem solvers. Occasionally, we would cover, you know, store managers' vacations, but, but very seldom. Um, and that was my, you know, that was the height of my, my management and, and um I did that for quite a while, then uh, come off the road, went back to managing a store. And, uh, and then when that store closed, they offered me a uh, area manager's position in New York, the state of New York. And, uh, and I, I decided at that time, you know, I kind of had started to see the decline and thought it was time to, to step out. Mm. Hey, so what, during these, uh, these different stores that you're at were the, was there anything that the employees did like after hours or, you know, f anything fun, you know, it, or things that they got away with while they were in the arcade? Yeah. The, uh, you know, because it's a, I mean, it's a fun environment and, and what was, what I loved about being a, a roving manager, which, which led me perfectly into uh, my secondary career of, of working in law enforcement for a number of years. Um, we would come into a store and, not identify ourselves as a corporate employee we would come in and we would play games and we would just observe what's going on and maybe get an idea mentally of things that could be changed to make more money and so i would observe a tenant's behavior and uh, i i remember coming into one store and there was like a line of gentlemen that were by the office and Every now and again, the door would open and somebody would come out and another one would go in. What? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm like, well, this is, this is strange, you know? So I watched this for a while and I thought, well, you know, maybe the best thing for me to do to figure out what's going on is get in line. <laughs> and so, so I'm like, you know, somebody came out, so I go in and here we have a, a female attendant, employee that is supplementing her income. I guess would be probably the best way to say it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so I thought, well, uh, you know, okay. Now, now it's like, okay, well, how do I handle this one? Because, you know, first I'm thinking, you know, I waited in line Yeah. and, but then I thought, well, no, that probably wouldn't be appropriate. So I thought, well, you know, obviously, you know, I, I you know, get out my business card and, and show her, you know, that, you know, I'm with, you know, show her a corporate ID and I'm like, uh, you, you know what this means. And, and she's like, well, you know, you know, I'll do anything. I'm like, well, that's fine. But no, it's, you know, <laughs> you need to, you need to be, you need to be done. 
And so, um, you know, and uh, so she left. And what was how difficult that, was that as a manager? How yeah. Did- what gets even stranger is about a half an hour, 45 minutes after, you know, I terminated her and said, you got to leave. Um, the uh, police officer walks in because, you know, then, you know, with her being gone, I put on the, the vest and everything and I'm playing attendant until I, you know, could call and get a store manager in. And the, the policeman walks in and goes, well, does this so-and-so work here? And I'm like, well, why do you ask? Well, well, we just caught her in the parking lot in the car with, you know, some men. Uh, some like some and, men yeah and you know what it was beautiful for me to say nope she doesn't work here <laughs> you know <laughs> doesn't work here at all so um so we had that go on i had a uh a, a storm or a area manager one time when uh i had to come into a store for a while they were going to be hiring a new manager and and as a roving manager we were there for supervisory type duties and generally if uh we would also come into a store if a manager was new and didn't know a lot about video game repair. Uh, we'd come in and help train him. Uh, as a rover, we covered vacations at the corporate office in the technical department that took the uh, phone, telephone calls from managers on how to fix games. So, um, so we didn't do a lot of the you know, extra duties, but there was this area manager. He was adamant about needing this office painted at our Brookfield Mall location in oh, Wisconsin. Wait. Interesting connection. We uh, two episodes ago we had Dan Lucen, um, who is the founder of Midwest Gaming Classic, which actually uh, <clears throat> has its uh, location in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, at this Sheraton Hotel right off thirty five there, or not thirty five, ninety four, ninety four. Yeah, because this, yeah, I was at, and I can't remember the name of the mall, but it was it was a Brookfield, Wisconsin. I bet it's the same mall. It's right next door. There's a Sears in there. It uh, could very well be. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, but yeah, this area manager was at him. He's like, you know, you're here. You're going to do what I tell you to do. And you know, I'm talking to corporate, and corporate's like, just just make the guy happy, and you know, do what he wants. So I'm like, okay. So I go to the local Menards or Home Depot, whatever it was, and uh, and I find a a bin full of these gallons of paint that are like close out or somebody didn't want them or whatever. So I bought uh, two or three gallons of fluorescent red paint and I painted this small office <laughs> and it was, it was kind of freaky because when you'd walk in and you'd turn the light on, cause the office in an arcade was very small, maybe, Oh gosh, five or six by eight feet. I mean, it was, you know, tiny and uh, a desk and some chairs. Yeah, yeah, maybe just a countertop and a chair, and then and then maybe a, another room, so you'd have a, a one stall kind of restroom. And so, so you'd walk into this office, and they, then they had no windows on them, and you'd flip on the lights, and it would just just terrify you because you would just be just sucked into this bright red. And uh, <laughs> it was amazing because after that. In the rest of my time on the road, nobody ever asked me to paint anything in their stores <laughs> ever again. So I think it worked. That, um, so we have so. a couple of questions in the chat, and I want to, I want to, and one of them is uh, is related to we had a little conversation before the yeah. show. Uh, I hope you, it's not. I hope it's not the gal that I fired. <laughs> there was one question about that. We'll skip that for now. Okay, so okay. the uh, <laughs> that wouldn't that be embarrassing? <laughs> 
do you remember her name? Don't just say it. Don't say it no, no, I don't. But you, and you know what's funny is that, and my my wife, you know, gets to me about this all the time. I probably have it in a manual someplace because I have documents and manuals and all of these things from where I, you know, had been on the road and my times about, and I just keep moving them. Oh my gosh! You know, every place we've moved, and and for some reason it's like. You know, when something is, you know, that much of a part of your life, yeah. it's like you can't really get rid of it. No. You know, because a lot of the stuff I've saved, you know, maybe some of the, especially from the Le Mans days, you know, store operations manuals and stuff <laughs> probably don't exist anymore. Absolutely. I, I keep telling myself, one of these days, I'm going to sit down and scan this data. Oh, that'd be so awesome. You should totally so do that. Got- if you do that, I want to be one of the first guys you email. Okay. So, um, we talked a little bit about um, when I was a kid uh, in the in like '86. Uh, Afterburner was released in its environment cabinet. I remember going there. My mom dropped me off at the mall because that's that's the age I was, yep. and I, I I just happened to be there the day that this thing was released. And there, here stood uh, an uh, an environment cabinet for Afterburner, and there was a line out the door, and and half of them were servicemen. They were in the Air Force, and they were waiting to play the game. And so I waited patiently, <clears throat> and then I got up there, and it was a dollar to play it that day. Mm-hmm. And they eventually lowered it to seventy-five cents, and I think at the time, uh, most games were around a quarter to fifty cents, so it was still pretty expensive for games. <clears throat> so anyway, I played the game, loved it. What a fun game. What was your experience with, you know, like new games and stuff that were coming in at the time? And and what was your opinion? And this is a two part because someone in the chat was saying, um, how did you feel about these games that were coming in? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I think you and I probably spoke to it earlier. Um, In all of the years I worked um, for Bally's, I never played an arcade video game. That's crazy. I mean, start start to finish because I would repair them. And my job was to make sure that the buttons and the switches and they did everything that they were supposed to do. And then I would usually grab some kid and say, finish this game. And then just tell me if it doesn't work right. You know? So then they would play it and go, yeah, it works fine. It's like, okay, well then I did my job because, you know, and because I was in when it was so busy, you know, I didn't have time to play a game and you were technically prohibited from playing games while you're oh, working. Oh, that's, I, I, I suppose so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and now, of course, now so you're starting you work- to look really familiar. Like I may have tried to swindle you of a token or two. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah. I, so uh, as far as the games that were coming in that I remember, um, being in the business, of course, uh, one of the big ones that came out, uh, obviously was Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah. Um, did you and have, were they, I, did they put the, so did they ship that in with the TV on top so the kids could watch? No, I, uh, that was, well, it was, it came in, in two different units and, and we had to assemble it, Okay, you know, when it, when it got there, but they, uh, that was a biggie. Um, the, um, another big one that I remember that, that, that we made a killing on was a game called Gauntlet. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah Gauntlet and was that, huge. Yeah, that was a huge game. Uh, of course, when Mortal Kombat came out, um, that was another big one. Um, there were some games that uh, that Bally's came out and and that we were involved because I'd be working a lot in the Chicago area. And Aladdin's corporate office was in Franklin Park, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. And so as they would develop a new, what we call the test game, generally they would move those out in the field. 
and and it would just be a one-off game. They would build, they would put it in the cabinet. The marquee at the top would be something that somebody drew on paper and in crayon. So these are like prototypes. Yeah, prototype games. And I remember uh, uh, the one of the presidents at the time with uh, Aladdin's Castle was a gentleman by the name of Maury Furchin, and a great guy. And he had a game that he was really excited about. It was called Max RPM. And they brought that out to one of the stores. And then, and then Maury came out later that same day because he wanted to see, you know, physically what the buzz was around the game. Um, and that was a game that eventually that did go into production. But there were other games that were brought in either by Bally's or Williams or, or some of the other companies. They would bring them in as demo or, or test games that would never make production. Uh, one that I remember that was at one of our, uh, our stores um, in uh, in Chicago was a game called Penguin Wars, and it was a a tabletop tennis looking game. And the game was two penguins, and the penguins would bat the ball with their wings or flippers. That's so cool. It, yeah, I mean, just totally you know, absurd. I, I wish. I mean, it was one of those games. It was absolutely so stupid that w- wouldn't make any money. The only the only time it did make money at this store was that that store was so busy um, and the, it was an arcade. It was at Harlem and Irving mall in Chicago and uh, the store manager at the time, a gentleman by the name of Michael Caldwell, who was later a, an area manager um, that, that I worked with on several occasions. He ran that store for a long time and, and they tested, that was their main test store. So if there was a new game coming out, uh, generally it was going to be in that store and, and it was just such a stupid game. The only time it made money is that where kids were standing around waiting to play other games that somebody would throw some money in it. But today, because it was a one-off game, kind of wish I had that one in a collection. So yeah, that's that's awesome. So yeah, you actually that's really I I never knew that like the employees got to have these sort of special events where they get to see these new games come in. And I, it probably wasn't an event, right? They just brought it in or like, what do you think this? Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, yeah, the truck. The truck would just would bring it. Or you get a call at the store saying, "Hey, we're you know, we're gonna there's a truck on a semi and we're gonna deliver it." And you know, for us, it was just another game. I mean, they it would get delivered. You know, we'd go through the prep that we're supposed to do on you know getting it set up, make sure everything's adjusted right, plug it in, and then the only thing that was different is in I know in the Harlem and Irving location because they tested a lot of prototype games. Um, they had to keep a lot more detailed records and do collection on games either daily, sometimes, you know, a couple of times a day because they really wanted to track how that game was doing on revenue quickly because in the gaming industry, much like some other, you know, the other fast-paced stuff in the computer world, if a game was hitting, they wanted to be able to deploy it into production as quick as possible. So yeah. So that was, uh, and, and the other nice thing about being in that kind of an environment, you know, we got to meet a lot of the people from, you know, the different companies that would come in to see how their game is doing. So, you know, the you know, people from Williams and Gottlieb and, you know, different companies. So, yeah, that's, that's really awesome. So going back to your managerial duties for a second. So roving manager, is that like a area or like a, a regional manager? And, and then what, how many stores did you end up, you know, traveling to and from? Yeah. Well, I was, you know, pretty much coast to coast. And the way it worked out is that, uh, and the way the roving managers work, we we were kind of kind of separate entity from 
the other management structure because you'd have store managers that were overseen by area managers that were overseen by regional managers and then that were overseen by vice presidents. The roving managers were kind of a separate arm. And um, there was a gentleman by the name of, uh, I believe it was Henry Dorman. And he would be the guy that would give us our assignments. And we would call in on a Thursday afternoon and he would tell us after doing our weekly collection Friday morning, where we were going to drive to next over the weekend. So generally we'd have the rest of Friday and then the weekend to get to wherever we were going to go. And uh, I remember uh, one instance, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So I was at a store in, uh, I believe it was Superior, Wisconsin, and there was an arcade there and I worked that arcade uh, um, while they were trying to hire a new store manager or whatever it was. And I call in Thursday and they're like, well, your next store, you need to go to Biloxi, Mississippi. So it's like, okay, so you hop in the car and you go to Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, I get to to the store Monday morning and, and walk in and, and you got to remember these are during times prior to everybody carrying a cell phone. So I go to the store on a Monday morning we and there's, we had pagers. And well, and the area managers like company's been trying to get a hold of you. They've got a disaster. They need you someplace else. I'm going to cover this. And I'm like, okay. So I, I call Henry and, uh, I'm like, what's going on, you know? And he's like, you are absolutely going to hate me. And I'm like, well, what, what's going on? He goes, we had a store manager, walked out, left his keys on the counter, and we need you to get, you know, to the store, you know, as quick as you can get there. I'm like, okay. So I'm right now. I said, where's the store at? He said, it's in Duluth, Minnesota. I said, you mean right across the river from Superior, Wisconsin? He's like, yep, that'd be the one. I'm like, okay. So I hopped back in my car and left and went from Biloxi back to, well, 30 miles from where I was at when I started the the equation but uh um so we traveled a lot and uh and it was a, it was a good position to have um got to see was that the and and sorry you, you mm-hmm. mentioned that you stayed in ohio for a while but were they putting you up in hotels at this point like wh- what yep. did you do for these short-term stays yeah when all the rovers stayed in hotels and we worked uh, trying to remember our schedule i think we worked uh, it was i think it was eight weeks on two weeks off And because we would work, I mean, our, our work weeks were 60, 80, hundred hour work weeks. And so the company would just, uh, they would put us up, you know, wherever we go. Uh, Um, an interesting incident with that, um, um, not knowing a lot of the areas that I initially went to, uh, I got assigned to, to work in a store in Waukegan, Illinois, and, uh, never knew, you know, what was in Waukegan. So, um, generally, you know, I'd drive into the area and, once I found the store, then I would find whatever hotel is close and, you know, pick a, a reasonably priced hotel. Uh, what I found out is that happens in Waukegan on the weekend is that's right near um, a naval base where the kids go to school and get trained. And then I guess they graduate on the weekends. So the parents are there and there's no hotels to be had. So I wound up, you know, trying to call. I get this chain of command call sheet. And couldn't get a hold of anybody and wound up calling uh, Maury Furchin at home, who was the president at the time. And I'm like, you know, explaining to him what happened. I'm like, I found a hotel, but it's at the Sheraton and it's $1,400 a night. Hey, whoa. And that's, and he's that's like, a lot of money. Even that's, that's like yeah, eight times huge, what you pay for a hotel room today. Huge, huge money. And, and I'm like, uh, so I'm like, so I'm like, I can't stay there, but you know, I, I don't know. 
you know, what you want me to do? And then he says, listen, he said, <laughs> this is, of course, by when Bally's making a lot of money. He's like, none of my people sleep in dives. He's like, this was, uh, I think, Friday night. He said, you get a, a room there for Friday and Saturday night. And then Sunday, he said, everybody will clear out and you can get a cheaper room. So I did. So I stayed there two nights, like $2,800. And then uh, then was able, after checked out of there, moved into a like a Super 8 or whatever down the street for like 50 bucks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, so then as a rover, every week we had to do an expense report. And then that got sent into the company. And a wonderful lady that we used to deal with back in the day, her name was Sonia Johnson. She really ran the company. She sounds hot. Yeah, well, I don't know. But <laughs> the, uh, um, I don't know about that. But uh, she, let, let me just tell you, that the day that she called me to discuss that expense report, she was hot. <laughs> uh, she, she, a different and, kind and of knew, <laughs> yeah i knew the tone when she gets me on the phone and, and it starts with uh mr donahue um <laughs> no. I, she's like i just got this expense report and i'm like yeah and she's like well we can't pay this i said well you, you better check with you know with maury the the president because he authorized it and uh yeah and then she called me back a few minutes later and she's like yeah it's paid so, <laughs> funny. Uh, funny. Yeah. So, so they would then we, you know, as a rover, you charged everything. Yeah. And then the company would reimburse you. And uh, so, but it was a great job. It was a great time uh, to be in the business. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was a growth industry really for me uh, through a lot of the time that I was there. You know, of course, in the 80s, well, probably, I think Bally's or Aladdin's probably biggest years were around 86, 87. And after that is when you started to see the decline. It's um, interesting because there's in the industry. <clears throat> there's the first video game crash, and then Bally, in order to recover, it looks like they bought a bunch of stuff. And I think uh, actually that plays into a question from our um, one of our listeners, right, Mark? It does. That question is. <laughs> I'm looking at a Valerian commercial. Sorry. Oh, that looks so awesome! I want to see it. Tangent. Nope. Go back to the question. I can't find my current. So YouTube question from DG. Oh yes, DJ and Ariel. Yeah, DJ and Ariel. So he was asking that they closed stores in '84, '85, '86, but '86 is actually reported to be the most profitable year for Aladdin's. And he's wondering if you knew what helped profitability, even though locations were closed. Was it like game placement or reducing costs? Well, I think it was a little bit of everything. We uh, uh, one of our biggest thing that we worked on. Um, all the time, especially as a roving manager, was uh, was trying to figure out ways to you know generate more income. I know the company uh, pushed uh, heavily into uh, trying to do more uh, private events where people could actually rent the arcade out uh, for birthday parties and and different events. And and there was that brought in a lot of money that uh, that they hadn't hadn't been able to realize maybe that was going to some of the other venues, you know, it's like, okay, if you're going to have a birthday party, you know, the kids were like, well, we're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Right. Because Aladdin's won't let us have cake and punch and, and all of that stuff. So we actually um, started running uh, cooperative agreements with the local pizzeria, the local birthday cake place. And, and we, we started to get special pricing from them so we could offer birthday packages uh, that then we could market to families that helped. Um, uh, of course the other big thing that, that we did as rovers, of course, was to help cut down on, um, any internal, um, monetary loss through, uh, through theft, 
uh, because you know it's an all cash business, so you have right. to. I forget the word. That. What's the term for that? The leakage or something? Or yeah, I mean, and there's a certain percentage you factor in. Um, but I mean, there were some stores that that I encountered that it was you know ten to fifteen thousand dollars a week Ugh, going, out, going out of a store. So so yeah, so we were we were key in helping to do to do that. Um, always, always. I mean, we had an entire division of nothing but marketing that would sit down and go, how can we maximize this square footage to fit more games on the floor? How can we get a better flow? Uh, is our token per pricing right? Uh, one of the things they started to do uh, in the later years was to bring in um, new row uh, bill changers that would accept higher denomination bills because the early changers we had, um, they would accept um, dollars and $5 bills. Um, and the other higher volume ones then allowed us to do coin pricing or token pricing to try to get those tens and those twenties from people and, uh, you know, increase our, our sales. So I think it was a, a lot of things coming together that helped. I, I think the other thing that obviously helped too is, is as technology improved, which was, you know, the double edged sword that, that eventually put us out of business and was, you know, the fact that they could make such good quality home games was the fact that the the arcade games themselves the experience in the arcade was getting better with our simulator style games you know um and you know the higher end equipment uh, that we were putting in the arcade so i think that's really where we've seen increased costs from and the, and the arcades that were going away were those real tiny locations where they just couldn't implement you know some of those some of them games because they never had the volume you know it's uh, it's hard to send a twenty twenty five thousand dollar sit down simulator game to a store that that only has floor space for fifty games, hmm. you know, because right. they just don't have the volume to support it. So <clears throat> can't put uh, afterburner in a tiny little eight by ten room. Just can't do it. No, I mean, yeah, you need the room, and you need, you know, I mean, because that that needs its own stage, so to speak, because yep. the part of that whole experience of having a game like that in the store. It's not only you playing it, but it's having your friends with you watching you play it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you talked about the, the military guys lined up to play that. It, it's, it's funny that in, in all of the arcades across the country that I went in, in the, in the mall shopping centers, yeah. the, the most loyal video game players I had in my arcades were the military recruiters that were in the mall. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Come I don't doubt it. And play video games. So, so, uh, so you you were in a roving manager, and um, so Le Mans, Aladdin's, Bally's, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and, and so did they offer you some career advancement? Yeah, I mean there was there was always a chance to move up generally with Aladdin's. Um, the uh, I en- enjoyed some of the time in the office, and and there were some offers to stay in the corporate office or work in their uh, what we call tech service department. Um, because what happened in the stores um, is for all the listeners, you know, obviously when you open up the back of a of a arcade game, everything inside the cabinet is broken down into components. You know, whether it be monitor or the motherboard, as we used to call it, or the power supply. And each of those components were only troubleshooted to a certain level by a store manager. And then if working with tech services, if it was deemed to be a defective, say, motherboard, uh, that would get packaged and shipped to Franklin Park where tech services staff would repair it and send it back. Or 
or they would send you an advanced replacement. If it was a popular game, we kept a lot of stuff on hand and, uh, and, and repair things that way. So there were some offers of, of being able to do that, but um, I, I just, I never, never really wanted to settle in that big of a city. So, um, and plus I love being in the field more so. So, um, but yeah, there was definitely, definitely advancement opportunity if you were willing to move around. Um, you know, if you were just an attendant in the local store, you either had to plot or wait for the manager to die to be able to get, <laughs> to get his job. Um, you know, they're not going to promote an, an attendant to a, an area manager, obviously. So, uh, but if you were younger and you were wanting to learn more and willing to and say, hey, I will move to any place you want to send me to be a store manager or being a, an, an assistant manager in some of our bigger locations, um, you know, yeah, there was definitely an opportunity for quite a number of years for advancement. That's awesome. So we, I have a couple more questions. One is yeah. from the chat again. Um, DJ asks, uh, how did they, ha- how did you handle games that went down? Cause you know, you mentioned like being in the field. So how did you handle a game that yeah. would go down? Yeah, obviously you, you didn't want to see games go down because you know, if the game is down, you, you know, it's dead floor space. You're not making any money. Um, so they were very aggressive about getting games fixed. And, and we had very specific flow charts for managers to go through to try to troubleshoot a game as quickly as possible. And as a roving manager and area managers, regional managers, the company would actually send out printouts uh, every week to us that would, that would give a game, what they called a games down report. So when you did a collection on a game, you had to write the number of games that, or the number of days that game was down. And then the company in the comment section wanted to know what the status was on getting that game back up. Is a part on order? Has a board been sent in for, for what we call R&R, repair and return? So they wanted to track that, you know. And, uh, and you know, that's another position that a rover would be used for is that they would watch those games down lists and they would say, okay, here's a store in just say um, Bettendorf, Iowa, you know, for instance, it says, you know, this manager runs a lot of number of days down on a game. You know, maybe we should go there and help see if we can do a little in-store education, some training, Sure. Um, you know, to help them. And, uh, you know, so there was uh, uh, the thing that used to frustrate me the most on game repair is we would hire some store managers that would be like new grads from like a DeVry <laughs> or someplace like that who, who are like, hey, I, you know, I graduated with this electronics thing, so I'm not going to use your flow chart on how to fix this game. Nice. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to step 12. And, uh, and I remember one game was down for a while and this, and this one manager's telling me it doesn't work. I've been working on it for so long. I said, did you go through the flow chart? Well, no, I don't do that. I said, get your ohm meter. What's the number one step on the flow chart? Well, take the ohm meter and, and touch the two plugs on the outlet to see if you get what we call a continuity ring. And gee, there's nothing there. And, go to look at the game and what had happened. This game was down for like three or four days. Some kid we figure had reached up on top of the game and turned the switch off. Ah, simple. That's why it was down. Yeah. Oh but, my gosh. So after that simple, you know, step one, reach up, turn the switch so on, games you, up, making money. If you had and, like uh, a, if you had yeah. like a, say a dragon's lair <clears throat> and the laser display was out and you, you just know you're not going to be able to fix it. Cause you're gonna have to send the thing out. And it's going to take, 
days, yeah. weeks, whatever. Did you ever like just push games into the corner or like in a back room if they were just taking up space or did they, were they dead weight and you called somebody to have them come get them and put a new game in place? Yeah. If it, if it was going to be something that was going to be down that they weren't going to be replacing, um, we would try to get them off the floor or maybe rearrange some games to get games wrapped around it, uh, sure. to try to hide it, uh, until a truck would come to pick it up. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, and, and there were some games that, you know, in, that I would go into the stores and they would literally tell me, we're not picking up this game. This game can be scrapped at location. And that, we would, mean? that means you would, you would take it out in the, uh, the back hallway of the mall. Cause you know, you always had generally a service door and you would take it out back there and you would take a sledgehammer and you'd bust it apart. Whoa! <laughs> and, and you would you would basically throw it in your dumpster. Chuck E. Cheese had a policy: all their games got destroyed. So, so what did? Are there any games that you put a sledgehammer to that you regret, or maybe you don't well, regret? Well, a, a lot of you know. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure I probably smashed a good number of you know, Space Invaders and and Defenders and Stargates and things like that. Um, a, a lot of them, we were we were fortunate enough to where they would uh, allow us to sell some games too. Oh, that's and, good. And in the growth time, that was great because I could make a few calls locally and there's some mom and pop guy that's got some route in a oh, bar yeah. that would, that would buy our used games. That and, makes sense. Uh, but yeah, some of them were just so old that, you know, in the cabinets, you know, so beat up over the years that there really wasn't much serviceable to them anymore. So, but um, maybe a final question here. Sounds like you started working right when the video game crash started. Uh, but then you, there was sort of a death ride, uh, upwards for ballet cause they kept buying people out and making, and, and were able to be profitable through the late eighties. And so then you're offered this, you know, job in New York, uh, which I don't know if we talked about, but you had this sort of, um, you know, really a 10 year or 11 year period with this company, um, what was that like for you, uh, in a nutshell and, and, and do you miss it, uh, or, uh, would you trade it for anything, you know? Um, but looking back, the, uh, one of the great things working with Aladdin's castle, um, obviously the, the game, seeing the technology evolve and everything was great, but the people that I got to work with, um, the other roving managers, area managers, and, you know, that was where I, I got basically a, a college education in management, you know? <laughs> so, so that was great, you know, cause you know, later on in life, I would go from, from that to a law enforcement career to now, you know, working as a completely online marketer and stuff. So, you know, so I learned a lot about business, um, and quite granted a lot of what not to do, uh, sure. <laughs> on, in some hands of business, but obviously the, the people I worked with that, that, that I met are fantastic and and I'm really thankful today that we've got you know the Facebook and the internet to be able to reconnect with some of these people I know you had started a group yeah um, uh, for Aladdin's Castle and, and and I know your maybe your purpose in why you started the group was different than what you found very true from the, from the standpoint of you you started it you'd said to because you had this gamers experience yeah and now are finding out that a lot of the people that join the group are former employees yeah, that actually want to share memories <laughs> of working there most of them are employees it's really kind of cool i love i love popping in there and people share pictures and stuff and i just think it's a hoot 
Yeah, and so, so so as far as you know, at the end, I I knew it was time to get out. You know, when I was was in Iowa, and my store closed, and 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 I knew the store closing was was coming because there would be some days that that I would work there and would literally have like a deposit for the day of like five dollars or twelve dollars. <laughs> um, you know, so twelve bucks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's you know, that's and, crazy. Yeah, but but here's the thing is is that. And they had to decide at what point, how much money a day are you losing yeah. versus what it's going to cost you to buy out a lease. Yeah. So maybe just take so, the loss and yeah. So, they, so they, 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 that, that location was probably open a year longer than it should have been open. <laughs> but, uh, and that was in, in Fort Dodge, Iowa. But, uh, at the time that was closing, uh, the company called me and they said, well, of course you've got this, this myriad of experience. We really don't want to lose you. And we'd like to offer you an area manager's job in New York State. And I said, "Well, sounds good." I said, uh, "I said, what's the pay?" And they said, "Well, uh, because of your years with the company and your position as a rover and all these different things, they're like you're really at the the high end of our field management level pay structure." So they said, "What we can do is we can give you a cost of living adjustment because you would be going to New York." And so we'll give you an extra $25 a week. <laughs> oh, Jeez. thanks. Yeah. Thanks. So, so I called a store manager in New York and, uh, <laughs> and just asked him, you know, Hey, this, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about taking this. And, and the guy on the phone is like, you will starve to death. <laughs> if you come here, he's like, I'm a store manager, oh. but he's like, I'm a retired air force person. Yeah. Who, who basically lives on his pension. And my wife is like some kind of a doctor. He's like, I work at Aladdin's because I like video games. And this is like beer money for me. Oh, that's funny. He, uh-huh. He's like, he's like, you can't buy, he said, you can't get an apartment, you know, for 1500, 2000 a month. He's like, there's no way you can afford to live here. So, so I called Bally's back and I'm like, uh, well, I said, appreciate the offer. And, and they threw some other offers out. And, and my wife at the time, she's like, you know, she's like, maybe it's just time to just segue into a different career. So, sort of uh, so I did leave era. with, with very mixed emotions. Cause I did love the, the corporate people and the people that I worked with in the field. And, yeah. and I, and I love working on video games. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that's, I do miss that. Yeah. We do too. Uh, yeah. To a fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and that's, you know, that would you, back you when you were doing the, the arcade news segment. Yeah. Um, I was going to chime in, you know, with my bit of arcade news, just to let you know that Aladdin's Castle's out of business. Oh, completely, and, uh, you know, yeah. You know, so, so it was, it was the same. I, <laughs> I still go, you know, when I'm traveling, it's kind of interesting when, when I'm traveling or on business, or my wife and I are traveling, you know, on vacation or something. I will sometimes go out of my way to a mall that I know I worked at as a rover to yeah. see if that arcade is still there, uh, because some of the arcades, if you travel around. The arcades are still there and they look, you know, sometimes like they did back in the day. But of course, now they're owned by, you know, a, a private mom and pop kind of thing. Sure. And uh, so it's just interesting to go in there and, and maybe have some conversations with the manager and say, yeah, I, I helped open this store back in, you know, 85 or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and give them a little history about their about their store. So uh, so it, it's very nostalgic and i and i'd have like i said boxes of uh aladdin's castle uh token bags i'm sure you guys probably remember the little velvet token bags from around christmas time you could buy 
I don't uh, I don't have those, but I do have a token keeper, a little plastic thing. Okay. Okay. Is that the one with the string around the neck? The token tubes we used to call them. Yep. It's kind of like a lanyard, but it's you can keep your tokens, and I have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was going through some stuff here the other day and and came across a box of them. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah. So it's like I couldn't throw this stuff away. (laughs) You still have those flow charts. Yeah, I've got all that kind of stuff. Oh, we've got to start scanning. We're gonna have to have a yeah. scan party or something. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you yeah, guys, I've got a yeah. huge, a huge group of what they called tech tips back in the day, <laughs> and it was, it was, they were sent out to store managers to address common problems in specific games. Okay. You know, yeah. the one that comes, one that comes to mind is that there is a, um, a, um, oh gosh, a part or component in the power supply of a pole position video game that always fails. Yeah. And you used to be able to buy the replacement part at Radio Shack, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but it specifically was a tip on, okay, when it fails, here's how you're going to replace it, and here's a modification you're going to do to keep it from happening again. Yeah. So dual those pulse. tech tips would go out for, yeah. you know, all, all these different games. So, yeah, I've probably got, you know, boxes of, Things, so. Sense circuit. Now I will tell yeah. you, there is one Aladdin's castle still in business. Mm-hmm. It's in Quincy, Illinois, at uh, three four two three Quincy Mall in Quincy, Illinois two one seven two 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 five zero seven four. And I bet I bet it's uh, just a privately owned thing now. Yeah, yeah. I worked that store at the Rover. So <laughs> cool. I, rem- I remember that one. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah so I mean, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember when when the store in Fort Dodge, Iowa was closing, the truck driver that came to pick up the games, um, he actually got a ladder and stuff, and he took down the Aladdin's Castle neon sign oh. on the front of the store. And I said, so I said, all this has got to go back to corporate, too. He said, no. He said, I collect this stuff. <laughs> he's like, he's like, corporate's just going to leave it here for the mall to throw away. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm taking it down. I'm keeping it. Oh, uh, that's cool. I wish I had the Lens yeah. Castle logo. In my... I suppose I could have yeah. one made now, but. Yeah, but I mean, that would be so cool to, I mean, to, you know, go back now and have something like that. And I mean, I have a, I have a Bally's Le Mans Family Fun Center license plate. Oh, that's cool. You know, that they, they had printed and, um, and different, you know, awards from my time with Aladdin's, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, I do miss, you know. I miss that environment and miss a lot of the people I worked with because the people I worked with are what really made the job enjoyable. And, you know, and I love having my hands in anything electrical and, and repairing stuff. And, um, you know, so yeah, it was great, great times. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, Randy, I just want to thank you for being on the show. It's been an awesome night. We, I, yeah. I love that you have such good stories. Yeah. Well, it's been a great trip down memory lane and, and, uh, <laughs> You know, some of, some of the updates that you were given back earlier, the, the songs and stuff that were popular in, yeah. in 1984. Yeah, that's, uh, my, my wife's, one of her favorite movies was Footloose. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She was, she was of course, 14 at the time. <laughs> we're glad but, to be of service. You know, <laughs> but no, it was, it was great. I enjoyed, like I said, chatting about it and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And and I look forward to the opportunity to being on a playing card. Oh, that'd be great! And uh, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have you on for part two, Randy Donahue, part two. I think yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm sure there's more stories I can <laughs> uh, can come up with. Well, thanks again for being on the show, and everybody in the chat, thanks for listening in. Uh, you know, it's the Double R's, it's Arcade Radio. 
And uh, we are glad to have you along. Please join the conversation anytime at arcaderadio.com. Email us at react at arcaderadio.com. Follow us on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And listen in next um, two weeks from now when we have Walter Day on April 13th. Uh, This is Arcade Radio signing off. This is where we dance like crazy man. I'm doing the funky chicken. I'm doing the rusty chicken. I'm doing the choke the chicken. Ew! Yeah, that was a loud one. I love this thing. Little fart noise. Yeah, I have a gun. It's a minion's gun. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice end to the stream, I'm telling you.